pray, and we're going to be starting in 2 Corinthians 5. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together and to continue the study on who we are in Christ, and that you guide and lead us as we study this, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and the topic today is a new creation. And verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and, hath give, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What was it? 2 Corinthians 5. All right, so we're going to look at this. It starts out, therefore, if any man be in Christ. And this is, if is a conditional clause, then this was one of those ones that it is, you may or you may not be. But if you are, then, then this is the continuation. So if any man be in Christ, or in actuality be saved, uh, it's not referring to just anybody out there, but if they've actually accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, this is who it's talking about. He is a new creature, or creation is sometimes what it is. And what we have here is the idea of new. And this word for new is not just a brand new born thing. It is a new kind, unprecedented, un, uh, unprecedented un, uncommon, uh, unused. <laughs> okay. So when we get saved, we become a brand new, never before seen, Creation is what a lot of people will, will say it as. And because we are being changed from a fleshly being into a spiritual being. Now, it's an, it takes us the rest of our life to actually fulfill this change, but it, it starts there. And God sees it as complete. We've already talked about him justifying us and saying we are perfect. Um, and so it starts out, if, if any man be in Christ, he is or he or she is a new creation. Okay, brand new, brand new, brand new be being. Old things are passed away. And this old means original. The original is passed away. And that's what I'm saying. We start out as a flesh. We, we, have, we are flesh and, and, and soul. And when we are born, we don't have a living spirit because Adam and Eve sinned. The spirit part of the body starts out dead. Uh, so we end up in, we start life incomplete. There's this desire for us to get to know God, and God wants to know us, and we want to know God because we are created to have fellowship with God. That was why He created man was to have fellowship. And without God, there is a huge hole in people's hearts that says, "I'm not, I'm not fulfilled." And you'll see people, and you'll hear it usually when people finally do get saved. They give a testimony about how they looked for God all over the place. Okay, my dad was a great example of that. Uh, you know, he he went into uh, the martial arts, and not just for the exercise part of it. He went in for the religious side of martial arts. He went into uh, different forms of searching for God, including black magic. You know, and then he finally came to God, and found that <laughs> the hole was filled. Mine wasn't so dramatic. I just remember going to church all my life as a as a little kid. You know. I'd, I would get up on Sunday morning, nobody in my family went to church, and then I would find a way to you know, go to church. Nobody in my family cared whether I went or didn't go. It was, if I didn't get up, they didn't care. It was, 
but I had a desire to go to church. And then it, when I was 10 years old, I went to church and got saved in a junior church situation and, and have been following God since that point in time. Uh, and other people have different stories. You talk to them, and there's all the stories of how they've searched. Uh, and sometimes it's through alcohol and drugs, anything to get rid of that dead feeling in your life, or, or it could be any of the many religions out there trying to find something that fulfills this, the spot that only God can fill. And then when we get saved, God creates, uh, recreates us and, and gives us a living spirit. And that spirit desires God. And when you get saved, you know you've got a spirit that desires to serve God. You get into God's word. You get into, you get into listening to God, the music that builds God up and the messages that build God up. And it takes time. I can tell you, when I first got saved, the last thing I wanted to do was listen to any Christian music or any Christian teaching on the radio. But it's now, over years, it's about the only thing I do. Well, I feel better when we're listening to it, say if we're working in the house. Yeah. It ministers to the spirit. It ministers to the spirit. And I've come to the point where it's Christian music. And I don't, I'm getting to the point where Christian music doesn't even fit the bill. It's pretty much got to be teaching for me because I want to be taught. And I, I need to be taught as much as anybody else that I teach because I need to keep fresh thoughts in my mind. Otherwise, I get stuck in what, how I think about things. And as I listen to these teachers, there's often times when they'll say something and go, I've never heard that before. I have to write a quick note to myself to go check out <laughs> what they've said, and it develops a new area of understanding for me. And that is the purpose of being taught by somebody, is it opens up our mind beyond who we are. And that's why it's important to be in a group, because if you're just by yourself, you're going to get stuck in whatever you believe. And there's no nobody challenging what you believe, nobody... You know, nobody giving you new thoughts at all. And, you know, because I've, I've met people that go, well, I just worship God on my own. Wasn't there any, everything you need to know to believe is in here? Everything is in the scriptures, but if you're, but you can get yourself set that you read the scriptures in a certain way even. Okay. And you need somebody sometimes to challenge you and say, are you sure that's what it said? Or tell me why you believe that. And make us to dig a little deeper to understand why. And it's very important why it said what it said in here, or why in the why scriptures? Okay. In the scriptures, uh, and give you an example. I've I've been in my lifetime have gone to many different denominations of churches, and they'll take the same verse and tell you that it means different things in each in the different denominations. Mm -hmm. And so when I was young as a teenager, I go, God, I need you to help me because this verse can't mean three different things. <laughs> and so I'd have to go in and and start digging it in and, and finding out what it means. And we can do the same thing from being a Baptist church. We can preach things from a Baptist perspective without analyzing what does it really say. And it's very important to be able to say God's word is true, whether what I've been taught my whole life is true or not. And we do it very simply. We, we start being taught as children. This is what it means. And then because our teachers taught us back before we had any kind of critical thinking, sometimes... I've met adults that believe some really dumb things about the Bible because some teacher, when they were in, you know, first, second grade, taught them something that wasn't biblical, and they believed it for the rest of their life until somebody, you know, comes along and challenges them and says, why do you believe, well, my, my first grade teacher taught me this. Okay, but what's the Bible say about it? Yeah. And it's very important that we get into this because 
we can be wrong without really realizing that we're wrong. And then when we get the whole picture of the Bible, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> and we start tying things together. And the more I'm studying, especially in this topic, you know, the who we are in Christ, the more I'm starting to see how God ties a lot of different things together in ways that I've never, never seen before. And this is what I'm saying. As you study the scriptures, you get a deeper, fuller understanding. A lot of people will tell you, well, the God of the Old Testament, he was just a mean, angry person, you know. How, it's not the same God as the New Testament. Well, it is still the same God. We're having a deeper, deeper revelation of him, a deeper understanding of him. We're, we're, seeing him, we're seeing more of his justice coming out through Jesus Christ. But when he said, destroy all the Canaanites, well, the Canaanites had had four, over 400 years to try to repent, and they didn't, and they were just getting worse. And bringing in diseases and, and sin, sinful activities that just were not to be accepted. And after 400 years, God said, okay, that's, that's it. We're going to get rid of them. And you know, Israelites go in and destroy them. It's your land. And so we got to, and when we start looking at the whys behind what he did in the Old Testament, you know, he's not going to be any different because you get to Revelation and you start seeing the same God judging, judging the world for their sin after he takes his church out and says, okay, now we're going to throw judgment at the world. And the purpose of the judgment is not to just kill everybody. It is to try to get them to turn to turn back to him and so this is this is why we're created we're created to have that spiritual relationship with God and there are so many substitutes out there that you know people try all kinds of substitutes Satan has all kinds of lies to them on try this but we get saved and God makes us a new creation he says the old the original is passed away our sinful nature behold all things are made new Okay, and this is a wonderful picture of what he does. He creates a brand new life for us. And we find our attitudes changing. We find our desires changing. And that's what I love about the way God works is he changes my attitudes over time. And it's amazing to me sometimes when I look back, and, and, and I've shared this many times, and I hope it's true with everyone. You, you look back at what you used to do and you, what you used to enjoy, and you say, I'm no longer doing those things, and I don't, don't miss them. It's not like I was forced into making a decision to, to change these things. I don't miss the headache that comes along with it. <laughs> yeah. Because nothing, nothing is free. There's always a payment. Always a payment. Yeah. But, but the whole idea that when God takes away things, you know, something that we enjoy really doing, and all of a sudden we look back and say, well, I used to really enjoy that, and now I don't, don't participate. I don't... I don't and this is where I am with TV now. I don't, I don't really like TV. I'm getting to where I don't like movies anymore because I don't like what the movies portray either. So I'm just trying to get more into God, spend more time with God. And when I get rid of all that TV and movies, I got a lot more time to spend with God. Uh, so there is a great side benefit of it, but it is just something he's developed over time. And each one of us will have the different places that God will take out of our life over time and in some cases it may not even be really simple things it's just things that take us away from him you know I've told people I would love probably to have a boat someday but I will never I would never use it because I spend so much time something easy you can yeah. just drop in the water and ride it like a pontoon boat or something yeah right? something like that it wouldn't matter to me I just love being on water on we a boat take, we could take the whole church with us but 
But because I spend so much time with God in the church, I would never use the things. So it, would, it would be a waste of money in the long run, as much as I would love to do it. Uh, and a lot of times we see that that happens with people. They get so busy with all their little goodies and things they like to do that it takes away from God. Now, would, own, would owning a boat for me be a sin? Probably, because I'd want to use it and take time away from God. But, it, uh, but not in reality. You know, owning a boat would not be a sin unless I used it to keep me away from church. And I've seen that happen with people. I, I had a friend one time, he bought a boat, and because he wanted to use it every weekend, and it was a good-sized boat, they stopped going to church. Because <laughs> you know, they would go cruising every, every weekend. And at that point, the boat became a very sinful activity for them because it took them away from God's people. And so this is where we've got to be careful. Even things that aren't necessarily sin can lead to sin. And a lot of men will get into this when they get into being a workaholic and they just spend all their time at work and not with their family, not with church. And I, and I fell into that, that problem when I was in my early 30s. I was always at work. I, I worked in a restaurant. I worked 60 to 80 hours and then sometimes more uh, each week. And I justified it with my family needs to, I need to work hard to get my family everything they need and I got to be successful at this and get the bonuses and all the other stuff that goes into it. And uh, verse 18, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. The word reconciled means to change or to exchange. So he reconciles us the, or the world unto himself. So he takes us out of the world to himself and just exchanges us. He exchanges places, you know, exchanges the place with us and takes us out of the world and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now think about this. The job of reconciliation is exchanging from one place, you know, one thing to another and our job is to reconcile people. How do we do that? We talk to the lost world, we give them the gospel. Our job is just to give the gospel and we're not responsible for how they respond or what they do with it. All God says is you tell. And I've said it over and over. I mean, if I sit there and I argue somebody into the kingdom, you know, because I can out-argue their, all their excuses, all they got to do is go to the internet or find somebody else who can argue better than I can and they can be argued right back out of the kingdom because they find a stronger argument. And that is why we want to be able to give a reason for what we believe, but we're not going to sit there and argue. Uh, we're not out there to argue somebody into the kingdom. We're just to answer, answer their questions. And then God works on, their, works on them, and he is the one that teaches them. And one of the pastors on the radio, I was telling one marker, Amy, this morning, one of the pastors on the radio was talking about this woman who, who just had this uh, famous... Uh, atheist at her house with some, you know, with somebody, and you know, she'd give him a, a biblical truth, and the atheist would, you know, give all the arguments why he didn't believe it, and then, and then all she would say is, "Oh, okay, I, I understand," and then give him another biblical truth. <laughs> you know, not arguing with him, not trying, but giving him God's word. And you know, this is what's important when we witness to somebody, whether they say, "I don't believe God's word" or not, our answer has always got to be His word. You know, we give the gospel message. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, I don't believe that. Well, it doesn't matter. God said it. <laughs> and you just put it out there. For Christ, you know, 
Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, you know, we give out the word of God. And God's word does not return void. And his word will get into their mind. Maybe not the moment we're saying it. Maybe not that moment. But at some point, somebody else will say something. And they'll go, well, I've heard that before. And things will kick off in their mind. And most people do not get saved the very first time they hear the gospel. It's just a truth. It's just they don't get saved most of the time on the first time. Now, you will hear them in their testimony say, you know, and I heard the gospel for the first time and I got saved. Well, it's usually that they've been shared the gospel five or six or seven, eight times, but the brain never heard it. Their ears heard it. The brain stored it away. And just sheer repetition of the gospel message finally clicks in their mind and says, oh, it makes sense. But those verses in the back of their mind that God has sitting there in their subconscious are working and working, and all of a sudden they'll get saved. And I know that it's true because I've heard many people say, and I heard the gospel for the first time, I'm going, it wasn't the first time you heard the gospel, you heard it at least twice that I know of. But it is true that it was the first time they actually heard it, consciously heard it. And so our job is just to give the gospel out. And whether we get the benefit of being the one that reaps the harvest or we just have planted the seed or we're watering the seed with more of the gospel message, God says you're part of that salvation. And the person will eventually, hopefully, get saved or they'll reject God. And our job is just simply to give the gospel, present the gospel. And he says we're not accountable for And the Bible even tells us, Paul one time said, you know, I've planted, uh, uh, Apollos watered and... and and Cephas, you know, I may have got the names of the individuals, but one planted, one watered, and one, one reaped the harvest. But all people had a part of it. And so it's very important for us to understand our job is real simple. All we do is share. And, share, and the best thing is we share our, our experience because if we share our experience, nobody can argue with that. You know, my experience, like I said, I went, to, I went to junior church. I'd been looking for a long time, and their message just all of a sudden hit me that I needed to be saved that day. And it was funny because I went home to my dad who didn't know much about Christianity and he tried to make sure, because one thing he knew about Christianity was it wasn't something you just did and stopped doing. If you're going to be a Christian, you had to know what you were doing. And so he finally decided after after about an hour of asking me questions that I understood as well as a 10-year-old could understand what I had done. And then he watched how my life changed. And the greatest thing for me, when he got saved, when I was 12 years old, we started going to church. I could go to church more than one time a day, one time a week. So, but that is my testimony. It's a really simple one, and I've been following God pretty much since then and getting into his word. And so we want, our testimony is what's important. And we need to think about what is our testimony? What do we have to share with people about how we came to God? For some people, it's going to be dramatic. You know, they, they went through all these things and... You know, and then I got saved. Other people was more like mine. It was just, matter of fact, I got saved. But you know, either, both sides have, have their benefits. Both sides have their benefits. Because I've had people, I had a guy one time that had this real dramatic testimony about, you know, all the alcohol and drugs and all the things he went through. And I'm going, well, you have an exciting story. He goes, I go, all I got, I got saved when I was 10. There's nothing to my story. And he looked at me, he goes, don't ever belittle your story. Because all those who have gone through all these hard times wish that we had been in in your place and (laughs) never had to go through it. 
you know, so that was a great thing for me to hear because there were times when I'd gone, you know, I have no testimony. I have nothing to share with people <laughs> because I didn't go through all this other garbage that they went through. And that one time when he just was straightforward with me and just said they wished that they were in that place helped me a lot. And so we have this idea. We are out there to bring people to reconciliation with God. Being brought out of the world into God's presence. Being totally changed. Being exchanged from one world to the other. And this is why we as Christians will always have a hard time in this world because this is not our home. This is not where we belong. If we feel comfortable in this world, we've got a problem. We should always feel that tension of this is not right. What's going on is not right. What all the you know what, where the world's going is not right. It's not good. You know, the Supreme Court heard the testimony today for the whether states have the right to define marriage or not. Okay, uh, that decision will come out sometime in June or July. I fully expect them to say that the states don't have the right to do it because that's a worldly decision and, and the justices are for all practical purposes very worldly. And so I expect them to come down on the world side of it that homosexuality marriages is going to be the, the law of the land. We as Christians will have to stand up and say, well, government, you can say what you want. God says it's a sin, we can't, we're not going to accept it. And they know the Christian, the true Christian, Bible-believing Christians will not accept it. Because we say God's law is important, it won't change. And then we'll be told, well, you're supposed to obey the government, and then we give them back what, what the, the apostles said, the disciples said, we need to obey God rather than man. And again, and I've said this over and over, that means we, may, we are subject, we are still, even though we're obeying God, we're still subject to the, punish, the penalty for being civilly disobedient because they have the right that God put them in place and that means that at some point in time most pastors in America that are Bible believing pastors will go to jail because we're not going to say that homosexual marriage is okay and we will find ourselves being arrested and hopefully we've trained somebody up in our churches to stand up and continue going on forward with God from what the Bible says and the church keeps going or the church gets driven underground which is quite possible as well because it is going to be pressed on us. We don't belong in this world. We have been reconciled out of this world into God's kingdom. And there's going to be things that are going to be very hard to understand. You know, and when we look at this and say, God says there's a standard, we're going to hold his standard. And the Christians have always been out of step with the world, always will be out of step with the world because we're not part of it. And very important for us to be able to keep that in mind. And when the world comes against us, it's not because they're bad, it's not because they're evil, it's just because they are sinful, they're part of the world. And I've shared this with people. When people attack and, and, and get, get after me because of my Christianity, it doesn't surprise me. Because they're worldly. They're worldly, they don't accept the things of God. It bothers me more when a Christian comes against us for standing on the Bible, but even that doesn't surprise me because so many Christians are following the world's way of thinking. So it doesn't bother me even when they do it because they're just not, it's just a lack of growth where they're at and they've got, to, they've got to grow up a little bit in their spiritual walk. Eventually, if they are truly saved and they truly get in the word of God, they will come into alignment with where God says. And so it's one of those things that we just, our job is to love people, love them. Now, our job is not to change the world to be good. 
Our job is to get them to become Christians and then let God change them to be good. And too many Christians, and I met them, I met them along, all over the place. It's like, well, I've got to get this person out of their sin and then I can give them the gospel. That's not how it works. Yes, that's it. It's like, do it the other way around. Give them the gospel, get them saved, and then let God take them out of what they're doing. Because otherwise they're just a good per- you know, they're just somebody who's doing good things. And for the wrong reasons, and they don't have the power to stay good in the long run because they don't have the power of God giving them the victory over the sinful flesh. So it's very important that we always remember our job is simple. Give the gospel, we get them saved, we encourage them to get in the word and start listening to teaching, and then watch God change who they are. Because I, don't, I can't expect people to be like me. Number one, I've got 44 years of walking with God to get to where I'm at. So there's no way I can expect anybody to think the way I do, act the way I do, behave the way I do. Besides, which I've got lots of problems I'm still trying to work out that they may not even have problems in. You know, but I've had a long time to walk with God that says, hey, you know, God has worked a lot out of my life. He's also protected me from a lot in the years. But God will change our life. And the key is, are we growing with him? And the one thing I love seeing is I love watching the people in this church that are growing in Christ and changing. Just in the short time I've been up here, the two and a half years I've been up here, watching people's lives being changed by God. Now, I'm having a very small part of it because I get to teach the Word of God, but it, and that's about all it is. I teach the Word of God and people listen and then they respond to what God teaches them. And then I'm encouraging people to get into God's Word which gives them something to learn. And the great thing is when we get to a place where others are ready to start teaching and, and sharing and, and growing with God and helping others, that's when we get to the discipling part because we all need to be discipled. We all need to be helping others come along. Not hammering on them for all the things that they do wrong, but just loving them and showing them the way God thinks. And being an example. Paul told the, told the, the church, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. He said, don't follow me all the time, but as I follow Christ, follow me. And I want to do the same thing. As I'm following God, give an example, I want people to follow me in those areas. Don't follow me when in my bad areas. Now, unfortunately, that's what we have with our kids. Our kids know us so well, they follow us in our bad areas as well as our good areas. Uh, if you've ever had kids and you know, you look at them and everything you never wanted them to do, say, or act is what exactly what they do. And you say, well, that's... You know, and you see yourself in them, and it usually makes you mad because you didn't want them to get that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, hopefully also there's good areas they're following in as well. So we're going to go to Colossians chapter 3. It's toward the back of the Bible by about three bo- four books. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians 3. You get to Thessalonians and Timothy, you've gone too far. Chapter 3, starting with verse 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And again, we get the same picture of the new man. And so it starts out with lie not one to another. Uh, to one to another. In other words, don't don't tell don't tell. In this case, it says deliberate falsehoods, uh, which is what lying is. 
And, when, and then we've talked in, about Leviticus 5, which brought out that lying, even by not giving the whole truth, is, is a lie. The lie of omission as well. Uh, so God wants honesty. It says, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. And I love this. The word put off literally means wholly put away from oneself or wholly strip oneself of something. Okay, and we're to strip ourselves of the old man, that original man, the flesh. All right, and when it talks about old man, it's, it's talking about our flesh. And we're to be putting off our flesh, we're to get rid of our flesh, of all the fleshly desires. Now, we can't do that until we die completely, but we grow more and more in that putting off of the flesh. We put off more and more of our sinful behaviors, whatever they may be for the individual. And everybody has their own set of, you know, sinful problems that they have. And we always will. The amazing thing, the longer I work with God, walk with God, the more I see how sinful I am in areas that I never even knew that I was sinning in. And he shows more and more. And we've described that about the idea of a brighter and brighter light being shined in on your heart. And the way I've described it, if we close these drapes, we turn the light off, and we looked at the room, this room, we'd see no dust, we'd see no dirt, because there's no light to see by. Right? We turn the fluorescent lights on, and we see a little bit, little bit of the dirt. We open up the curtains and let the sunlight in, and we see more. If we were to bring a 3,000 candle power, you know, spotlight in here, the room would catch on fire. <laughs> <laughs> We would start seeing every little speck, and then you know, but you keep getting it bigger and bigger, and you see more and more of the bad in your life, and that's what God does in our life. Once we first get saved, He goes, "Okay, you you see all this, you know the bad stuff you do," and God says, "Okay, we're going to work on those." And then we start knocking those kind of things out of the way. He goes, "Okay, let's put some candles in here and and show you a little more." And then then very soon it's like, "Let's put the spotlight in there." Let's you know. And he keeps revealing more and more of how wicked we are. And the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Okay, We don't even know how wicked we are until God starts shining his light in there. The light comes from getting into scripture, getting into you know, studying who he is and what he does and how he wants us to behave. And we start finding, oh, I need to change this. I need to do this. I need to think like this. I need to show more love. I need to be different in this area. And we surrender ourselves to God, and he changes us. But he does it by a real slow process, usually. Now, I've met people who got saved, and all of a sudden, overnight, God turned their life around, and, and they got victory in all kinds of areas. And I don't understand why they get victory when other people like myself take forever and a day to... To make changes might be because it might be because I'm so stubborn, but but it takes a long time for me to make changes. Now it's getting a shorter and shorter period. The more I've walked with God, the shorter that period takes. But I can remember things taking six and seven years for me to finally surrender. And lately, I'm surrendering them a lot faster and saying, "Okay, God, I, I understand. I'm going to give this up." And the key is, the more we get to know Him, the more the more we trust Him, the easier it is to make those changes. The more I understand how he thinks, the, the more easy the decision is. Because you get to the point where you understand he's not trying to hurt me, he's trying to help me. All the thing he wants to take away from me, he's doing it for a good reason. And the more I believe that, the more I understand that, the easier it is to make those transitions. 
because you can think about that in, in when people are teenagers, the last thing they want is mom and dad telling them what to do and what not to do. And you know, you can go out, but you have to be home at, you know, by this time. And, and you're just chafing at it, like you just don't want me to have fun. And what the parents are looking at, I want you home before you have a chance to do all these things that are gonna hurt you in the long, in the long part, of, you know, long time. Uh, there's an old statement that nothing good happens after midnight. You know, and that's pretty much true. After midnight is when most of the bad things happen. The, the drunks are out on the road, and whether you've been drinking or not, you're going to have to deal with them. Uh, the opportunities for, for sexual sins become greater. You know, everything becomes you know, amplified the later in the evening it gets, the more dark it gets. You know, bad things don't often have, times happen in the daylight. And if you look at riots even in, in these cities, like in Baltimore right now, most of the pictures of the riots are at dusk and later, you know, when people can get away with it and not be identified. You know, you don't, you, you don't see a whole lot of it during the daytime. And I'm not saying you don't see any, but you don't see as much. And that's the way sin is. Sin loves darkness. It wants to be hidden, okay? It, so we want to be careful that we don't hide. We, we, put the, God's light in our life so that the sin is exposed. He wants us to confess our sins, not, not because it's so important that we confess our sins to, to anybody, but because once the sin is confessed, it's out in the open. Even if it's only to God, it's out in the open. I've admitted that I've done wrong and I've put it out into the light. Because if you don't put it in the light, Satan comes along and says, well, if everybody knew who you were and knew what you, you know, if they just knew that you were such a sinner, you know, they, they, they would turn around and, and reject you. And Satan loves it when things are in the dark and hidden. And when we go before God and we say, God, I, am, I repent for this. I, I am sorry for it. And then if we have one more step and you have somebody that you can trust to be able to share with your, your weaknesses, then they can pray for you and encourage you in that. And that's why it is so important to have people that you can talk to. I've got my friends that I talk to. They know me. They know my weaknesses. They know who I am. They know when they see me going in the wrong path, saying, hey, Ralph, you know, you know you're, you're making some bad decisions there. And it's important for us to have that individual in our life that can talk to us that way. You know, we may not like it when they do. They, or we will not enjoy it. You know, nobody wants to be rebuked. <laughs> You know, if you enjoy being rebuked, there's something wrong with you probably. You're, you've, got a, you've got other issues. But we should, we should look at the idea that once we're rebuked, if somebody loves us, they're doing it, they're doing it to help us. We used to call it reproof. Reproof, reproof, correction, discipline, you know, whatever term you want to use for it, it's the same. You know, no child likes to be disciplined, but if you don't, if you don't love your child, you, don't, you won't up, discipline them. We're going to reproof you. you know, yeah. Yeah. Rebuke. That's a good one. The rebuke. But it's important for us because that idea of growing needs somebody out there that says you're headed down the wrong Something path. Something threaten you with that when you don't know what it means. Rebuke, reproof. Now I know. It's not good. <laughs> I mean, if you know you don't like it. You're not going to like it because a, a, a reproof and correction causes pain. There's pain involved with it. And this is where in our world the, the, the idea of trying to discipline kids without pain. I mean, it doesn't work to begin with. Uh, but you have to have some form of pain involved in discipline, no matter what it is. There is pain involved in discipline because you, you're either stopping what you wanted to do, which causes you, you know, a psychological or emotional pain. But pain being associated with it matters. Now, that pain may differ as the kids grow up. 
you know, a kid that's under under six or seven, a little swat on the rear end is usually enough to to help them. And we're not talking about beating a kid to death, but a, you know, a, a swat with a, a switch or a belt or a wooden spoon will help that kid understand there's pain associated. Now, when the kid gets to be 10, 11, 12 years old, especially if they're a boy and and they're getting rough and tough. Sometimes a spanking isn't the best thing for a kid that you know that age. Sometimes taking away things that they want is the best thing. But God has set it up that got, there's got to be pain within the within the discipline because you've got to know that you do wrong, and there's a consequence. And God has consequences. Every time we do wrong, there's consequences, and they will cause pain of some sort. Sometimes long-lasting pain. Um, that have, will totally change your life. And there's un, unknown numbers of, of girls who've gone out on the very first time and had sexual experiences and ended up being pregnant and having their whole life turned upside down for the rest of their life for one, one sinful activity. And then there's others who get away with it forever and don't have to seem to have a problem. You know, but it is so critical that we understand God has a sowing and reaping. When we do good, we get, we get rewards. When we do bad, we're going to get discipline. I don't want to say rewards, but it is we reap what we sow. And this is so important. We're to put off, in this, in this verse, we're to put off the old man with his de deeds, the old man, the flesh, the worn out part of us. And we're to put them off, strip them, strip them off with his deeds, with the deeds of the flesh. The flesh has deeds that it wants. And we all are aware of them. We've talked so many times that the, the flesh has, you know, God has a plan for our life. He has an absolute set of truth. And Satan comes along and he has thousands of lies. Thousands of lies to try to trip us up into. And he is the father of lies and he is a good liar. He's good at lying. He's good at tricking people into thinking that what they want is good for them. Besides the fact that our flesh wants to participate in them, and he's out there. And then he says in verse 10, but put on the new man. And this put on, we've talked about this, this literally means to sink into the clothing, to put them on. And it's talking about luxurious clothes. It's kind of, there's a picture of it being a, a nice, luxuriant uh, robe of something you just fall into and it's soft and comfortable. We're to put on the new man, which is Christ. And it's to be comfortable. It's to, it helps us to, to feel very comfortable and that new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. And this whole idea of renewed means to make new. And I love that in the Greek it means to be changed into a new kind of life as opposed to the former corrupt self. The new man taking, getting rid of that corrupt corruption and putting on a brand new, new life one is very different and this is why when you see somebody who gets saved you see their whole life change you really know this person is walking in God you see those changes in their life they're not things you can just put on you can see when somebody's pretending you know and we've all been there where we've seen somebody pretending to be Christian you know, you know acting like they're all loving and and then you hear those little twinges of there's no love behind them there's all these accusations and it's so important that we understand God loves through us 
In 1 John, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for loveth, anyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that knoweth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. And for Christians, our, the greatest way to know is, do they express love? Are we going to express love perfectly all the time? No, we've got a flesh that gets in the way. But are we more loving than non-loving? I've seen people who want to say they're Christians and most of what they say is very unloving comments, tearing people down. And you go, do you really know God? Do you really know his love? And then you meet people who are usually loving and if they say something negative every once in a while, you go, okay, you know, you are human. But the... They're still working on it. They're still working on it, yeah. You know, and, but, but if you see somebody who's more unloving than, than loving, then you've got to say, this, uh, you know, there's something about working on it, but you've got to long, you know, do you really know God? Is God really pouring out of you? And it's very important because it's so easy. It is easy for us, though, to slip into unlovingness because the flesh is unloving. The flesh wants to compare and say, well, I'm better than these people, so, but, and, if they're, and if they're somewhat better than me, I've got to tear them down. That's the way the world thinks. If somebody looks better than me, somehow I've got to tear them down so that I look better in comparison. And that's sad. And us as Christians need to get to the place where we're just wanting people to see God. See God. Sometimes you can win an argument and, lo and lose, the per lose the war because you lose the friend, you lose the opportunity to talk to somebody again. And this is why it's so important. We've talked often about the idea that we need to let God be our defense. If somebody attacks us as a Christian, it's normal. It's normal for the world to attack us. We give our defense and then we just stay quiet and let the defense stand for what it is. We express who God is in the situation and we express love. Is there times for us to defend ourselves? On a rare occasion there probably is, but God has to God will have to say be very clear that now is the time to speak. And you're better off, in my experience, better off almost always not trying to defend yourself. Uh, because then, then you get into the Shakespeare's quote, he, you, you protest too much. <laughs> you know, or you get into the old adage of where there's smoke, there's fire. You're, 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 you're arguing too much. There must be something <laughs> there. So in most cases, we're better just to let God be our defense and say, okay, you know, God, I'm just going to love them. I'm going to show your love to them. And wherever it goes from there, is, it goes to. And God is on that. He, he's wanting to make us new. He's getting rid of. And then it says, you know, be renewed in the knowledge. And this word literally means precise, correct knowledge. And, and in, in Lubeck, it's epinosis. It's, it's very precise, very correct. And that's the one thing about getting into God's word. We can get the correct knowledge. Very precise. And... And it's our defense. The word, God's word is our only defense that we're going to use. If we give God's word, and it's God speaking into their heart because the word is, is not going to return void, even if they don't believe it, don't like it, God's word is the answer. You know, and this is why it's so important. And then it says, knowledge after the image of him that created him. We are created in the image of God. Once we get saved, we get this new creation of the spirit we become a new new creature we have a soul that's alive in us again you know, Adam and Eve were told the day they eat of the fruit they would die 
They didn't die physically at that, that, that moment, but they died spiritually at that moment. They, before that, they walked with God in the garden. They talked with him. They were taught directly by God face to face, apparently. Appearances of Jesus. The moment they ate the fruit, their guilt overwhelmed them and they could not come before God. And then they couldn't come before God because of their sin. Except through the sacrifice of the sacrifice. God gives us that spirit back and we are able to commune with God and listen to the spirit. Get into the word of God and understand it. You know, I hope you've had that experience at times when, when you get into the Bible and all of a sudden things just make more sense than they've ever made that they've ever made in your lifetime because you know God now as you get into his word. And then we get deeper and deeper and that experience will always be there. I can speak for that. 44 years of being in his Bible and there's still, every time I get in there and study, there's something new to learn. Something new, some, some verse that I've never noticed before, some connection to another verse that I've never noticed before. And it's just a precious thing to get in this book because this book is alive. It's not just words on a page, but it's God's spirit-breathed word that he speaks through. And it's amazing to me when I get into God's word and you know, read, read a book that I've read a hundred times before and all of a sudden see something brand new in there that I've never noticed before and be able to say, wow, this is great. Have him draw relationships between other verses and say, hey, you remember when you read this? And he brings it together and brings out a deeper understanding. And it's so important that the depth of the God's word is out there. It's going to keep bringing in new material, new understanding. Any comments or thoughts? I got into preaching mode today, sorry. No, I'm going to close in prayer. We're a little early, but we're closing prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this time to come together. And Lord, just help us to understand that we are new creation, that we are we have the spirit that has a relationship with you. Help us always to understand that we are to come before you and to worship you in spirit and in truth and just get to know you through the word. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.